Hi there, this is Kevin Skinner, pastor at First Baptist Church in Stockdale, Texas, and welcome to our weekly message podcast. If you live in the Stockdale area, then I would invite you to join us every Sunday morning at 11 a.m. to worship with us in person. You can also check out our webpage at fbcstockdale.org. Here at First Baptist, we are a community church with a kingdom mission, and we invite you to join us on that mission. So earlier this week, or this last week, uh, memory popped up in my newsfeed on Facebook of when Sarah and I bought our first house together. It it was, uh, the first time we bought a house was in Fort Worth, and, and it really was a good purchase for our first house. In fact, we bought this house before uh, Ethan was born, so this was a house that we were able to expand our family in. But, but after kind of reminiscing about buying this house, I also began to remember that after several years of living in this house, I began to notice on the outside some of the bricks beginning to separate in a stair-step pattern. And on the inside of the house, in the some of the rooms, in, in the corners of the room, I began to notice some diagonal cracks forming. Now, if you know what this, these are signs of, then you may have had to deal with foundation issues in the past as well. In, in fact, uh, Texas is the leading state in the country for foundation issues and foundation repairs because of all, all of our hot and dry seasons. And, and so companies, foundation repair companies across the country will actually send many of their employees to Texas so that they can see and and learn from some of the worst foundation issues in the country. So as these clear signs of foundation issues began to present themselves, I began to look look for uh, different estimates from different foundation repair companies. And of course, several thousand dollars later, we had a solid foundation once again. So we're in a series right now titled Rooted, and as we're going through this series, we're walking through the book of Colossians. And and as we think about this life, our desire would be that we would have a solid foundation, that we wouldn't see see cracks and, and, and things beginning to fall apart in our own life. Now, even though Texas has some of the worst foundation issues in the country, there are things that, that we can do to ensure that, that we don't have those same issues again or, or to prevent those issues from occurring in, in the first place. And in fact, if you just keep your foundation watered, that can help prevent having to spend thousands of dollars on foundation repairs. So as believers, what do we need to do to ensure that we have a solid foundation? What do we need to do to ensure that we don't begin to see cracks in our life and things beginning to fall apart around us? And the answer is, we are to root our lives in Jesus. He is to be our foundation. If you remember these verses from last week, Paul said in Colossians 2, 6 through 7, So then, just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, being rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, and overflowing with gratitude. 
And here's the beautiful thing. Even though these, these cracks were forming, even though the, these bricks were separating in our house, even though there were foundation issues in our house, our family was not falling apart. Our family was still going strong because our family's life is rooted in Jesus Christ. So let me pause right here and say this. When, when your life is rooted in Jesus, even when everything else around you is falling apart, your life won't be. Let me say that again. When your life is rooted in Jesus, even if everything else around you is falling apart, your life won't be. And, and, because when our life is rooted in Jesus, then our life is rooted in the true and sure foundation. And, and as we think about the last couple of years, whether we're talking about the pandemic whether we're talking about the cultural battles that we have faced and continue to face, or even as we think about the, the tragic events in Uvalde earlier this week, I, I can't think of a better time to be reminded of this, this truth because there are days when we look at our news feed on social media or we turn the TV on to watch the news and, and it seems like the world has gone mad. Anybody else feel like that sometimes? It feels like the world has gone mad and there is just chaos all around us. And, and, and it feels like every, every day things just keep getting more complicated and confusing. So let me remind you right now of our overarching truth for this series. The world complicates things for us. The enemy confuses things for us, but God's word makes things clear for us, and God's word points us to Jesus. We are to root our lives in Jesus and in Jesus Christ alone. And when we root our lives in him, even if everything else around us is falling apart, our life won't be. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Colossians chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 8 through 23 today. We'll finish out chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2, verses 8 through 23. Now, as you're turning there, let me set this up for you. If you remember last week, we started out with verse 4 at the beginning of the section. Paul, he, he gives this warning to the Colossian church. And then as we walk through verse 7, we saw that Paul gave some instructions. As we pick up in verse 8 today, Paul's going to flesh out some of these warnings to the Colossian church. And, and we're going to really see the summary of these warnings in verse 8 when Paul says, Be careful that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit based on human tradition, based on the elements of the world rather than Christ. In other words, Paul is saying, For the hope of salvation, look no further than Christ. For the hope of salvation, look no further than Christ. And then as we walk through this passage, we're going to see some of the things that are being presented to the Colossian church instead of Christ. And while their faith was strong at one point in time, here they are now and they are vulnerable to these deceptions. And so out of love and great care for, for this body of believers in in Colossae, Paul says, or, or, or really it could be summarized what he's saying, for the hope of salvation, look no further than Christ. And so out of love for you today, out of care for this body, I would say, for the hope of salvation, look no further than Christ. Nothing else and no one else 
has done anything that can save us. We ourselves can do nothing to save us. Our hope for salvation can only be found in Jesus Christ, in his death on the cross for your sins and for mine. So there are a couple of things that I want to say about verse 8 before we read this passage. First, this deceit, these false teachings have the capability of taking us captive. In other words, we can become prisoners of these false teachings if we give ourselves over to them. So let me introduce you to Colonel Richard P. Kiern. Kiern was a fighter pilot in the United States Air Force, and he is only one of two people to become prisoner, a prisoner of war in both World War II and in the Vietnam War. And so in World War II, his plane was shot down, and he was held as a prisoner from September 1944 until he was released in, uh, in May of 1945. His plane was shot down again in, in July of 1965, and after ejecting from his plane, he was taken prisoner in North Vietnam, and he was held captive there until January of 1973. He's one of 52 Americans that were forced to march through the streets while being be uh, brutally beaten by North Vietnamese civilians. His release in 1973, was, along with the others that were released, was a part of Operation Homecoming. And so speaking of these philosophies, speaking of these false teachings, Paul says, be careful that no one takes you captive. Don't allow yourself to be a prisoner. Because while these things don't have the capability to take us physically captive, like Colonel Kiern was taken physically captive, these things, these false teachings, if we give ourselves over to them, they have the ability to take us spiritually captive. And we can become prisoners of things that Christ has already set us free from and the freedom that we receive in Christ wasn't through operation homecoming it was through his redemptive work on the cross once for all time so don't give yourself over to these things to be taken captive again so these false teachings have the capability of taking us captive but the second thing that I want to point out about what Paul says here is that these false teachings are empty they are empty. In, a, in other words, these false teachings, they may sound solid to us when in reality they are completely hollow. So when we moved into the parsonage next door, in the backyard there was a tree stump. It came up to about my, my waist, maybe a little bit taller. And by all appearances, this tree stump looked solid. But one day I hit the side of the tree stump and the side of the stump just crumbled and so I realized that, that even though it looked solid, even though it looked like a, a good tree stump, it wasn't solid. The wood had become soft and rotten. And so when put under pressure, it could not stand. And this is what Paul is saying here about these false teachings, about this deceit. It, it may sound good to us. It may look good to us, but when put under the pressure, when put under the weight of the truth, it cannot stand. It crumbles under the weight of the truth because in the end, it is just empty deceit. 
I said this last week, but, but let me remind you of an important practice for us as believers. We are to take what we hear to God's word, and we are to test it against God's word to see if it lines up with God's word. And if it doesn't line up with God's word, then it is just empty deceit, and we must not allow ourselves to be taken captive by it. With that in mind, let's read our passage now. Colossians chapter 2, verses 8 through 23. It says, Be careful that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit, based on human tradition, based on the elements of the world rather than Christ. For the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ, and you have been filled by him who is the head over every ruler and authority. You were also circumcised in him with a circumcision not done with hands by putting off the body of flesh in the circumcision of Christ when you were buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And when you were dead in trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, flesh, he made you alive with him and forgave us all our trespasses. He erased the certificate of debt with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us, and he and has taken it away by nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and disgraced them publicly. He triumphed over them in him. Therefore, don't let anyone judge you in regard to food and drink or in the matter of a festival or new moon or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of what was to come. The substance is Christ. Let no one condemn you by delighting in ascetic practices and the worship of angels, claiming access to a visionary realm. Such people are inflated by empty notions of their unspiritual mind. He doesn't hold on to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and held together by its ligaments and tendons, grows with growth from God. If you died with Christ to the elements of this world, why do you live as if you still belong to the world? Why do you submit to its regulations? Don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. All these regulations refer to what is destined to perish by being used up. They are human commands and doctrines. Although these have a reputation for wisdom by promoting self-made religion, false humility, and severe treatment of the body, they are not of any value in curbing self-indulgence. So as we look at this passage this morning, I, I want to begin by highlighting what Paul says in verse 20. He says, if you died with Christ to the elements of this world, why do you live as if you still belonged to the world. As we read through this passage, Paul is reminding us that in Jesus we have received something far better. We have received something far greater than what this world has to offer. And if we have received the best in Christ, how can we return to something that is less than the best? So, Back during my freshman year of college for Valentine's Day, I went up out with a group of friends to, to a restaurant uh, to, to just celebrate Valentine's Day together. And so there was a group of us guys and girls, and, and so we were looking at the menu and, and 
trying to decide what we were going to order, I decided on the steak. And so the waiter comes over to take our order, and, and she asked me what I wanted, and I said I wanted the steak. And then she asked me a very reasonable question, a very normal question when you order steak. How do you want it cooked? Now let me remind you, I was a freshman in college, and this was probably the first time that I was ever ordering a steak without my parents there. And when she asked me, how do you want it cooked, I had no idea how to order a steak. And so I looked her dead in the face, and I said, on the stove. <laughs> I know. But if that wasn't bad enough, I actually ended up ordering it well done. It was like eating a belt, right? And so... <laughs> So it was actually several years later after Sarah and I were married that I began ordering my steak medium rare. And in my opinion, that is the only way to order your steak. The best steak is a medium rare steak. And so now that I have had medium rare steak, there is absolutely no going back. This is what Paul is getting at here saying, don't you realize that in Christ you have received the best? How can you go back to something that is less than the best, something that is, is, is not great at all, something that is subpar? How can you go back to this? So he says, and so if you've died with Christ to the elements of this world, why do you live as if you still belonged to the world? How can we experience the best and go back to something that is less than the best? In other words, Paul is saying there is no comparison. If you have received Jesus, if you have experienced Jesus, there is no comparison. And while Paul is specifically referring to returning to traditions, regulations, and the law, the reality is, is that in, in our own life, we often after receiving the best in Christ, we, we turn away from Christ so that we can go back to and so that we can experience the subpar things of this world. Our sin, our temptations, our desires, the things in this world that are not eternal. We turn from Christ so that we can continue to just experience these subpar things. And so today I would, I would say to you and I would urge you, don't turn back to your sin. Don't turn back to your pride. Don't simply pursue your own desires. Pursue Jesus and never look back. If you've died with Christ to the elements of this world, why do you live as if you still belonged to this world? Now as we continue to walk through this passage, we're going to look at three things today that, that I think this passage, passage makes clear that Jesus is better than, that he is far greater than. First, Jesus is better than man's tradition. Jesus is better than man's tradition. Let's look at verse 8 again. It says, be careful that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit based on human tradition, based on the elements of the world rather than Christ. Jesus is better than man's tradition. Now, I don't know about you, but I happen to like traditions. Traditions can be fun. One of our family traditions is that on the last day of school, we, we go and get ice cream as a family. 
We did this on Thursday. We drove over to Dairy Queen, went through the drive-thru. We all got blizzards, and I got the cotton candy blizzard, and it was delicious. <laughs> Hashtag no regrets. All right. But, but really, these aren't the type of traditions that, that Paul is getting at here. Really, what Paul is saying when he, when he uses this word human tradition, he's talking about something that's widely accepted by mankind, something that's widely practiced by mankind. Really, it's this idea of collective belief. In other words, the world is pushing for you to believe something or to do something that, that everyone else is doing, that, that is being pr promoted as the, the majority of the world. They, the world has deemed this as something that's good. The world has deemed this as something that is right. And here's the reality. This is still happening in our world today. The world is continuing to push us to accept and to believe and to go with what the world has deemed as the majority, whether it's really the majority or not, right? We're being told this is what the majority of people say is good and right. And so we must fall into line. So let me give you this reminder. Truth is not determined by the collective majority. Truth rests in God's authority Truth is not determined by the collective majority. Truth rests in God's authority. And so if something is wrong, it doesn't matter how many people push for it, it's still wrong. Even if 90% of the world, even if it really is the majority going in the wrong direction, if they are going in the wrong direction and saying, this is the way to go, follow me, this is the right way to go. If it's the wrong direction, it is still the wrong direction. Truth is not determined by the collective majority. Truth rests in God's authority. When I was growing up, the common phrase that teachers and parents would say to teenagers, maybe this is still said today, they would say, if everyone else was jumping off a cliff or jumping off a bridge, would you do it too? Now, I could be a smart aleck at times, believe it or not. And so depending on who was asking me that question, I might respond... Well, it depends on if they're popular or not. Now, certainly I, I was joking, but, but really there is some truth in that joke because many times we look to the people with the biggest titles and the most followers to tell us what to believe and how to live. But truth is not determined by the collective majority. Truth rests in God's authority. And so if it's the wrong direction... It doesn't matter how famous the person is that, that's saying we should go in that direction. It doesn't matter how many people like that person, follow that person, idolize that person. It doesn't matter how many people agree with that person. If it's the wrong direction, it's still the, long, the wrong direction. And so Paul is telling the Colossians, but he's also telling us today, don't look to the world, look to the Lord. And look to his word. Trust in the Lord and trust in his word. Don't look to what everybody else is saying. What is God saying through his word? Because this is where we're going to find truth. Not out in the world, but in his word. Truth is found in Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ alone. 
So Jesus is better than man's tradition. Second, Jesus is better than every authority. Jesus is better than every authority. Let's look at verses 9 and 10 now. It says, For the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ, and you have been filled by him who is the head over every ruler and authority. Jesus is better than every authority. Now, when it comes to our earthly authorities, this doesn't mean that, that we don't submit to our earthly authorities, so long as they're not commanding us to do something that is against God's word. But, but we do trust that, that God has placed our earthly authorities in their positions. And so because we submit to the Lord and we trust that he has placed them in their, their positions, as long as they're not telling us to do something that goes against God and goes against his word, then we do submit to their authority. That being said, what Paul is reminding us here is that Jesus is greater than all of those authorities because Jesus is the greater authority. Jesus is the final authority. In fact, Paul reminds us in Philippians 2, 10 through 11, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the Father. And so as we think about Jesus being better than every authority, then, then there are a couple of authorities that I want to highlight that he is better than. One we've already talked about, Jesus is better than earthly authorities. Now this is important to remember because oftentimes we have our political side and our political candidate, right? And we want our political side, we want our political candidate to win. Now there's absolutely nothing wrong with voting. I exercised my right to vote earlier this week. There's nothing wrong with, with allowing your voice to be heard. But the reality is, is that there are times when the candidate that we wanted to win that we voted for does not win. There are times that the party that, that we voted for does not win. And so the opposite candidate or the opposite party, the one that we were against, right, they come into power. What do we do then? How do we feel about that? So let me pause right here and give you this very important reminder. Even when our candidate doesn't come into power, Jesus hasn't lost his power. Even when our candidate doesn't come into power, Jesus hasn't lost his power. Regardless of who is sitting on an earthly seat of power, Jesus is still seated on his throne. He is not removed by a vote and a new power comes into place. Jesus continues to sit on his throne and he continues to reign with all authority and with all power regardless of who is in power. And we are reminded that he is also the transformer of hearts. And so maybe we didn't vote for a candidate. We can still pray for that candidate. Maybe we don't like the direction that that candidate wants to go. We can still pray for that candidate because Jesus is still the transformer of hearts. And ultimately, he is still the one that is in charge. So Jesus is better than earthly authorities, but he's also better than spiritual authorities. It's no surprise that we live in a dark and sin-filled world. We were reminded of that, unfortunately, earlier this week with those events in Uvalde. And so following those events this last week, I pointed you to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. It says, For our struggle is not against 
flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. There are evil spiritual forces at work in this world. And because of that, we are in this spiritual battle. And as we recognize that we're in this spiritual battle, we are moved to pray. And we know that we can pray with full confidence because we are calling out to the one that has full authority. Even the spiritual forces of darkness, the spiritual authorities of darkness have to bow at the name of Jesus Christ. And so we don't have to be afraid of these spiritual forces in the world because we know the greater authority. We know the ultimate authority and our hope and our faith is in him. He is the one that the fullness of God dwells in. And so we know that Jesus is greater than even the spiritual authorities. So Jesus is better than man's tradition. Jesus is better than every authority. Finally, this morning, Jesus is better than the law. Let's look at verses 16 and 17 again. It says, therefore, don't let anyone judge you in regard to food and drink or in the matter of a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of what was to come. The substance is Christ Jesus is better than the law. Now, this doesn't mean that the law wasn't given for a reason. In fact, in the New Testament, we're told Jesus didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. The law was given with great purpose, with great intention. But the purpose of the law, the purpose of everything that we see, these festivals, these sacrifices, these celebrations, the purpose of all of this was to point us to Jesus. As we think about the law following all of these sacrifices and rituals in, in the Old Testament, people were constantly reminded of their inability to live up to God's perfection. Reminded of this truth that, that we are reminded of from God's word, that we all fall short of the glory of God, every single one of us. And so the law just continually pointed to and reminded people of their need for a savior when you look at the old testament it really is a beautiful thing sometimes you know we want to throw out the old testament because we have jesus in the new testament when you look at the old testament it's a beautiful thing because it is the the build up to the crescendo of jesus coming to be our savior without the old testament without the law we don't understand our need for a savior but the law could not save. These festivals, these celebrations, these sacrifices could not save. They were but a shadow. Jesus is the real thing. Understand, everything prior to Jesus' coming was just a shadow. But Jesus is the real thing. So back in 1971, Coca-Cola released an ad and, and, and they sang this song, I'd like to buy the world a Coke. You may remember that ad. At the end of the commercial, these words scrolled up on the screen. On a hilltop in Italy, we assembled young people from all over the world to bring you this message from Coca-Cola bottlers all over the world. It's the real thing, Coke. Understand, Jesus is the real thing, 
Everything else is just a shadow. Everything else is pointing us to Jesus. So let me pause right here and say this. Don't settle for anything less than the real thing. Don't settle for anything less than Jesus. Don't settle for just church attendance. Don't, don't settle for just singing songs. Don't settle for just reading your Bible. Don't settle for all of these religious practices that don't have the ability to save you. Turn to Jesus because he is the real thing. He is the substance. He is the one that went to the cross to die for your sins and mine. And he is the one that has the ability to save. Everything else might point us to Jesus, but nothing else is Jesus. And so we need to turn not to the shadow. We need to turn to the real thing. And so as we get ready to close today, the question that I would have for you is, do you know the real thing? Do you know Jesus Christ? Have you experienced the real thing? Not have you experienced church attendance or church membership have you experienced Jesus Christ? Is he the Lord of your life? And if he's not, then I want to give you the opportunity to respond. And so in just a moment, we're going to sing another song. And as we sing this song this morning, this will be your opportunity to respond. And today, if you would say, that's me, I've never given my life to Christ. I, I've come to church, I've experienced church, but I've never experienced Jesus personally in my life, allowing him to save me, allowing him to forgive me. But today I'm ready to turn from my sins, recognizing, yes, I fall short too, but Jesus died for me. If you're ready to turn to Jesus Christ, to allow him to be the Lord of your life today, then I would invite you to respond. I'm going to be standing right down front. Step out of your seat as we sing. Come and join me. Let's talk. Let's pray. Today can be the day that you don't just experience a shadow, but you experience the real thing. Now, maybe you're here and you would say, I've given my life to Christ already, but I've not taken that next step of baptism. The, our passage today talked about baptism. It is a picture of the salvation that has occurred in our life. It doesn't save us, but through baptism, we are reminded that we are buried with Christ and raised to new life in Christ. And so if you've given your life to Christ, but you've never taken that step of obedience to be baptized, to be able to experience this picture of salvation, then I would invite you to respond as well. Let's talk, let's pray, and we can make that commitment together today. Now, maybe you're here and you would say, I've given my life to Christ. I've been baptized by immersion. And I've been visiting First Baptist Church Stockdale. I know that God's calling me to make this my church home, to join this church body, to be on mission with this church body as we reach out to the community, as we reach out to the state and to this world. If you are being called to join this church body today, then let me encourage you to respond obediently as well. You can come forward, we'll talk and we'll pray, and you can become a member here at First Baptist Church Stockdale. Whatever it is that God's calling you to do in these final moments, let me just encourage you to respond obediently. Would you stand with me right now and let's go to the Lord in prayer together. Thanks for listening to our weekly message podcast. At the end of every service, I offer an invitation to respond, and I'd like to invite you to respond today. If you'd like to make Jesus Christ your Lord, or if you'd like information about membership here at First Baptist Stockdale, then head on over to fbcstockdale.org respond. Your response will come directly to me, and I'll follow up with you this week. God bless you, and have a great week.